0: Books, your weekly program about great reads through book talks, trailers, and first chapters, presented by Mrs. Winningham and Mrs. Kovach. Hi, this is Mrs. Kovach. Today I'm going to be reading from chapter one in the book Dread Nation by Justina Ireland. The back of the book says, Jane McKean was born two days before the dead began walking the battlefields of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania during the Civil War, derailing the war between the states and changing the nation forever. In this new America, safety for all depends on the work of a few, and laws like the Native and Black Education Act require certain children attend combat schools to learn to put down the walking dead. But there are also opportunities, and Jane is studying to become an attendant. An attendant is trained in both weaponry and etiquette and their job is to protect the well to do from the zombie attacks and a chance for a better life for black girls like Jane. After all, not being the daughter of a wealthy white Southern woman can save her from society's expectations, but that's not the life Jane wants. After finishing her education at Miss Preston's school of combat in Baltimore, Jane is set on returning to her Kentucky home and doesn't pay too much mind to the politics of the eastern city with their talk of returning America to its glory days before the walking dead rose. But when families around Baltimore County begin to go missing, Jane is caught in the middle of a conspiracy, one that finds her in a desperate fight for her life against some powerful enemies. The walking dead and zombies are the least of her worries. Chapter one in which i am found lacking all right ladies we shall try again sides up on my count one two three slash one two three slash we lift the weapons up in the ready position adjust our grips take a breath and slash them across the space before us in time with miss duncan's count up adjust breath cut through an imaginary line of the undead sweat pours down my chest and my arms ache from the weight of the scythe. In all my 17 years, I ain't never been so tired. When Miss Duncan said we'd be doing close combat training, I'd been expecting to work through some drills with the sickles, which everyone in Miss Preston's School of Combat for Girls knows is my best weapon. But instead, we work with the twice heavy scythe, which is a two-handed weapon and not at all good for close combat, in my opinion. Jane, your grip is faltering, Miss Duncan says, those eagle eyes locking on me. Raise it up. Her voice climbs in pitch as though she could lend strength to my overtaxed arms. I swallow a groan and raise the scythe a few inches higher. It ain't like my weapon is lower than anybody else's. Miss Duncan must have heard my thoughts. She's punishing me. My arms tremble as I hold the scythe up in the ready position, the vicious curved blade pointing down body length handle at an angle across my chest. Miss Duncan waits until I'm about to scream from holding back before she gives me a small nod and turns back to the class and relax. The sighs drop and the group of us let out audible gasp of relief. I shake out my arms one after another, willing the burn to go away. Next to me, Big Sue catches my eye. She ain't human, she mutters, talking about Miss Duncan. I nod. No, Miss Duncan ain't human because there's no way a normal woman and a white woman at that could survive 10 years in the army hunting down zombies. I can just imagine how that went. The other soldiers fall over themselves, lay down their jackets every time Miss Duncan needed to cross a puddle. No, I can't believe a woman can maintain her virtue and serve honorably with the troops out west. So while I do believe Miss Duncan's a fine instructor, I do not believe she's human. All right, again, sides up. I lift my weapon, focusing on Miss Duncan, trying to decide if she indeed is human or not. And on my count, one, two, three, slash. As we go through the moments and the movements for what has got to be the hundred times God honest truth, I watched Miss Duncan carefully walk around us just out of range of our one, two, three slashing. Today, her brown hair is pulled into what my mama would have called a messy knot at the back of her head. She wears a prim, high collared dress of moss green cotton, perfect for the warm weather we're having. Her skirts are a little higher than a real lady would wear, mid-calf, just like the rest of us. Modesty leggings underneath. The shorter length of the skirt is supposed to let us kick zombies easy-like and not trip us up. if We need to run. I slash that scythe across the empty air until my arms feel like overcooked green beans, limp and wobbly. A glance towards the observation pavilion at the edge of practice grounds with wheels while we're being worked so hard, A couple of white women in fashionably dressed dresses stand under the awning of the pavilion. A white wooden structure covered in wisteria erected specifically for the comfort of these fine ladies that sometimes visit Miss Preston's looking to engage an attendant. An attendant's job is simple. Keep her charge from being killed by the walking dead. It's a task easier said than done. Sue, I whisper. Yeah? Who's those white ladies over there? She glances towards the the pavilion and grunts. Don't know, but those dresses are from this season, so they must be somebody important. Well, at least now I know why Miss Duncan is determined to make her arms fall off. We ain't seen finery like that around here in a fair while. Sue grunts again, which this time I take as an agreement. Finally, the evening bell rings and Miss Duncan turns towards the main building. That's all for today, ladies. Before you go, I have a treat. Miss Spencer has brought lemonade for you with ice. On the edge of the green is Miss Spencer, a white woman whose farm borders to school. She waves at us and everyone starts to chatter excitedly about the prospects of lemonade. Miss Duncan ain't finished though. I will see most of you later this evening for the lecture at the university. Please make sure you wear your Sunday best for this fine event. Miss Duncan watches us heft our sides and head over to the table that Miss Spencer set up. Well, hello girls. There are cookies here, Miss Spencer grins at us. The Spencers are the nicest white people I'd ever met, and at least once a week, Miss Spencer brings us treats to enjoy after we're done our training. Next to her stands a smaller girl with pale skin and a smattering of freckles, her hair and pigtails. I smile at her. Hey there, Lily, I say. She hands me a cup of lemonade. She gives me a tight smile but doesn't say a word. Once upon a time, I used to keep an eye on Lily for her brother. But that's our secret. I drink the lemonade too quickly, sweet and tangy and cold, and watch Miss Duncan invite a few other girls to talk to the fine ladies. I ain't in any mood to play show pony, so I file into the building with the other girls heading back to the armory to secure my weapons. Big Sue falls in a step next to me. You go to that lecture? Her voice is deep, and she sings a fine baritone in church. She's the tallest of us here, big and dark and imposing with arms like John Henry, but she's also ace high at braiding, and my own perfectly straight braids are thanks to her nimble fingers. She's the closest thing I got to a friend here. And that's something Aunt Aggie has taught me. You don't often find someone who's an all-around nice person. So even though Big Sue might not be the smartest at times, she's my friend, and that's that. Me go to that university lecture? I snort and shake my head. I ain't about doing that. What do I care about some rich white man who thinks he knows how the undead rose up? He probably ain't never seen them out there shambling about. You know how it works. He lives his life sheltered away behind the walls of the city while us attendants go out and kill the dead. Jane McKean. Catherine, never Kate Devereaux, stands up before us, blocking the way to the armory, arms across her chest. She's one of those girls that makes you question the school's admission policy and criteria. She's the prettiest girl at Miss Preston's, and I figure that's a good enough reason to hate her. Not that she ain't good with a weapon. She's a crack shot with a rifle, valuable in a long-range capacity, but she's also from Virginia, and I ain't had much cause to like those Virginians, partly because Mama ain't too keen on 'em. And they're so important, like they single-handedly stop the walking dead at the Mason-Dixon line or some such nonsense. It's downright ridiculous. Catherine and I have been buttonheads since I showed up at Miss Preston's School of Combat, and not just on the account of her being offensively pretty. She's one of those girls who doesn't know how to mind her own business, and she's a know-it-all that would try the patience of a saint. How dare you slander Professor Gearing? Catherine continues, now that she has my attention. He is an expert on the scientific matters pertaining to the walking dead. Why, that man has traveled to Europe and Asia researching the undead. What would you know of that realm of academics? First off, they ain't deathless. They're dead, that's it. Just because they happen to run around terrorizing the countryside doesn't make them anything but the walking corpses that they are. And anyone who says otherwise is a fool and wouldn't know a walking dead shambler if it held him down and bit him, including this professor character. Second, I'd be much obliged if you would keep my name out of your mouth. The last thing I want is you sullying it with your silliness. I make to push past her and my scythe still in an awkward weight in my hand, but she blocks me once again. Big Sue frowns down at me and Katherine. What's it matter? If he's wrong, then he's wrong. All this arguing is a waste of time, especially since you're going to make me late for supper. She shoulders past Catherine, who puts her hand on her hips and huffs a little. Professor Gearing is a brilliant man. Miss Anderson says that the paper says he's going to cure the walking dead and end the undead plague. The two of you should attend his lecture. Your homespun wisdom can only get you so far. I snort. Ever since Baltimore and a handful of other major cities were certified walking dead shambler free more than a year ago, the government has turned its attention to finding a cure for the undead. You ask me, that's a luxury we ain't earned yet. I have tangled with enough walking dead shamblers to know that there ain't no such thing as a shambler free world, while just one of those drooling corpses is still walking about. But according to the experts, there hasn't been a major attack within the city limits or even in the country at large since before the last rising day. And I've heard enough political speeches to know that letting rich white city folk think that they've made even a small part of America safe again is a better stump speech than telling them that we're still in trouble five years after the army stopped fighting the walking dead. But I don't say another word to Catherine. I just walk right past her into the armory.